Podcast for Two Guns. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here this week with Christian Margensky. My mother named me Harold. <laughs> and with the Two Guns tagline, Kelly Wand. Missing Thorpe. <laughs> you know what I meant, right? Oh, I missed that music. Can you leave that on later? Sure, you know what? Uh, oh, stick around for the end of the podcast, and we can all hear it again. No, I don't hear it that bad. Please don't. Uh, let's see. So uh, I was gonna—I was hoping to have some fodder to convince you guys that Dwayne Johnson is a better actor than Harrison Ford. <laughs> Who is that? Um, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Um, uh, so I was going to watch The Tooth Fairy, um, which <laughs> not funny, Kelly Wand. It's, I know it's not. It's supposed but to be what, a comedy. But what movie were you going to watch? Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, the Tooth Fairy is not available for instant watch. Oh, I what that is. It's like a, it doesn't have a Criterion Collection edition. Well, no, no, no. Kelly Wan, if a, <laughs> Kelly Wan, if a, if a movie is really good, they, Netflix can't get the rights for it. So you for, for instant for streaming. So you have to send off for it. I could have gotten it that way, but I was too impatient. So what I did was I'm like, well, I'm going to instead watch something else by Dwayne Johnson to, to you know, give these jokers the what for this week. Is there any sign of the earth? Well, that's the thing. Is I remember there was something where he like rides a bumblebee around, and it's based yeah. on some kind of uh, jewel. I want to watch that with you, actually. Well, so I clicked on because in Netflix all this stuff is hot linked. You know, that's the internet these days. So I, I clicked on Dwayne Johnson's name, and when you click on Dwayne Johnson's name in Netflix, you are assaulted with a wall of homoerotic imagery. There are like <laughs> there well, are, is a rock in the wall. Well, there are dozens of these wrestling video things that you can get on Netflix. I mean, it was him against Steve Smokin' Austin and, and Hulk the Hogan and, uh, like, all these, like, wrestle-off kind of things where there's two, like, barely scantily clad <laughs> That's sports. And, they're, and the, the scantily clad dudes are, like, clutching each other or whatever. Oh. Um, and it, it was really uh, – I, I didn't expect it. Um, so I didn't – <laughs> so I didn't watch one of these. I'm sure, however, that Harrison Ford would be terrible in a wrestling match. So that's all I've got this week. He wrestles an Ender's game in the cut I saw mm. with his conscience. <laughs> all right. the, whole, the whole time you were talking about this, all I was thinking about was Riddick. Speaking of what, homoerotic, or uh, what What makes you think of Riddick? I don't know why I conflated the two, but all I was thinking of was making a joke about Riddick. And uh, he's not one. in Riddick? Who's in that? I don't know. So Riddick is Vin Diesel. Oh, and that's right. So we saw, when Dingus and I saw Two Guns, there was one of these special announcements for your uh, insert name of theater chain here. And you know that Vin Diesel records, like, 50 of these and has to just say the name of the different theater chains. So he's like, hey, audience of Regency Theaters, uh, I want you to compete in our design a poster for Riddick contest. Um, so they show the trailer and then Vin Diesel gives this little uh, spiel directly for the theater chain. Uh, and at one point when he's giving his spiel, he says, because I know that you are looking forward to seeing your favorite Furion back on screen. What? 
Now, here's the thing. The Furion is the race of who he is in the, the Riddick movies, but what doesn't make any sense about that... There aren't any others to be favorite over, are there? He is the last one. Once Linus Roach, and we talked about this in our 3x3 about sunlight, once Linus Roach reveals, hey, I'm a Furion too, he then steps into the 700-degree Fahrenheit raging sun of ash of crematorium, I think that's the name of the planet, and gets burned up, at which point... There are no more Furians left. So that's like me saying, I am your favorite guy named Tom Chick on the Quarter to Three movie podcast. That's not true. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly Warren. I came out wrong. But also, uh, the other actor can go, I'm everyone's second favorite Furian. The guy walked into the uh, oven. Do you know what, though? Yeah, I think Linus Roach is my personal first favorite Furian. Yeah. What Wait, I, like, I thought you liked the about Before watching this, and this is, I feel totally idiotic in saying this i just never realized the pun on the word riddick when you're watching it's riddick i mean i never thought about that before wait i'm not even sure what dingus is getting at. as in ridiculous yeah, it, yeah. that's that's that, that's what the kids use these days oh it's totally riddick but when you when you look at a movie called riddick it's i mean is anybody gonna go see a movie called riddick depends on it's a case-by-case scenario that's a good point well, we've already had one. The, uh, Pitch Black, perf- Pitch Black was the first one. <laughs> yes, and perfect. I had to think. Yeah, when I when I say pitch, I immediately want to say perfect and start thinking about Anna Kendrick. I'm afraid, but uh, Pitch Black was the first Riddick movie, and the second one was called Riddick. And there were two games called Riddick. So Alan Two Dick. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I, uh, yes, Kelly Wand. I forgot. Well, so I apologize for derailing us from Dwayne Johnson because he is. Harrison awesome. Ford's my favorite Furion. Yeah, that's a good point. Not a Furion. Sorry. If you want to make a case for either Dwayne Johnson or Harrison Ford being a Furion, Dwayne Johnson, way more likely to be a Furion based on the visual appearance. He was a bounty hunter in Fast and Furious, and Harrison Ford was a bounty hunter in The Fugitive. Wait, he was a fugitive. He was the opposite of bounty hunter. No, they were both fugitives, because I think Dom is a fugitive in Fast and Furious, and Harrison Ford was a fugitive in The Fugitive. So So who's a better fugitive? Oh, clearly. Clearly Dwayne Johnson. Kelly. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah, you just made my point for me. Thank you. <laughs> uh, all right, so this week, <laughs> speaking of fugitives, Dingus, what did we watch? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, this week we saw two, the number two, I mean. Uh, is it a Roman numeral two, Dingus? It is not. It's with an S, though, because one of the heroes is white. Yeah, it's a Furian numeral two. Two Guns, a 2013 American action crime comedy movie mm. about a couple of guys who rob a bank across the street from a diner. It was directed by Baltazar Kormakur. And- oh, God. <laughs> I mean, he's good. I look forward to his next work. Do you need me to give you a minute to clean up? So it's Baltazar Kormakur. Oh, and written by Blake Masters, based on the Boom! Exclamation point! Studios graphic novels by Stephen Grant. I oh, like big lots! Exclamation point! <laughs> In the middle. <laughs> yep. It stars Denzel Washington, Mark Wahlberg, Paula Patton, Edward James Almos, James Marsden, and Bill Paxton. Uh, Two Guns is rated R for mm. violence throughout. Language and brief nudity. Oh yeah, I, uh, I think we—I I noticed that. 
All too brief, I would say. Mm. <laughs> Not all too nude. Two Guns opened at number one on Ugh. what is turning out to be the slowest weekend of the summer. <laughs> Grats, summer. <laughs> uh, it made $27 million. Uh, on Metacritic, which is the average rating of re- various reviews, Two Guns is at 55. <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes, which is the percentage of reviews that are positive, Two Guns is at 58% positive. <laughs> I don't know why you read it like that. Like it was a big, important announcement. <laughs> 58. Like the word, the first one you just kind of threw away. Right. Yeah, 55, right. whatever. But. I, I personally dicks. Yeah, I personally couldn't care less what ratings reviews use. I find Rotten Tomatoes far more a far more interesting way to gauge the critical consensus. Um, mm, so half so, of it, half the tomatoes are. If it'd been zero zero, it would look like bullet holes, and then it would have been good for marketing. Yeah, I don't think that's how they think of that. No, mind, not what we were gonna say. Uh, well, Kelly, Wan, speaking of what you're gonna say, I would like <laughs> you to tell us. <laughs> To give us a Tuganopsis. Did I do it right? Is that is that what you got for us this week? Well, let, your segue gets an A+, but your Opsis naming gets D... We get to 58. Wait, do you hear... 58. 58. All right. Well, wait, do you hear the, uh, the new tagline to spur you on when you're ready? Oh, you... Oh, is it, it going to be different every week, or is this the new nope, one? This, this one's going to be a while, I think. Not forever, but a while. Wait, it's because I said, oh, if I drive it like I stole it, I would drive surreptitiously. Oh, that was a good one. No. So, yeah, listeners, listen to last week's synopsis <laughs> to hear Kelly Wan's great take on the drive it like you stole it from the G.I. Joe trailer. No, this is from another trailer that I've been watching, and uh, it's it's a special line just for you, Kelly Wan. So, Kelly Wand, are you ready for what? – what is this week's synopsis called? Tugupsis. Kelly Wand, game on, bitches. Oh, I like it. <laughs> it's, from, it's from Kick-Ass 2, and you know – you know that it is – because Kick-Ass 2 is R-rated. You know that there's probably a C-word in there that Chloe Moritz is dropping again. But for the trailer, they dub in a, a bitches because, you know, the trailer's um, for all audiences. That's weird when they do that. When they change it. It's weird to me in the Kick-Ass 2 trailer, you can see there are a couple of scenes where they have purple paint smeared on their faces. And you're like, why is that? And it's obviously, they're supposed to have blood. No, it's blood, but they digitally Uh make it look like like purple paint. I thought you meant they were going to, they say lines, but they put purple like in Twilight Zone with the sister upstairs, takes her mouth away because they're talking, but they want to cut away the lines because they're dirty for the trailer. So they just replace it with purple paint. Ah, uh, no, no, it's uh, it's it's they don't want to show because it's such a good shot. Uh, well, then why don't just that's what I'm saying. Why don't they just find shots and lines that they can show? <laughs> I'm guessing because there really aren't that many in Kickass Two that would fit a trailer very well. Mm-hmm. You can see I've seen a couple of different trailers for the movie, which I have no desire to see, and you can see that there's only really a handful of scenes they can hold on to to put in the trailer. Wait, I want to see it because right, very uh, renunciated. Because it was too violent. Yeah, that's right, Kelly Wand. It's a dog on your balls. <laughs> Wait, is that your Z-Bone or your <laughs> That is my Jim Carrey's Captain America or whoever he is. That's awesome. We're not going to see Kick-Ass 2? By the way, I would contend that it's going to be game on bitches. I don't think the C-word is going to fit in there. I don't know what you're thinking. 
Well, that's what her her little tagline in the first Kick-Ass, which was so adorable because she was a little tiny thing back then. Now it's not adorable because she's legally allowed to say it. Yeah, right. Exactly. She's old enough to cuss now. Um, Maybe you're right, Dingus. I'm just talking about the way it scans. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Game on on C's. Game on C-words. Bet on it? You guys want to bet on what it's going to be? Which they can still change just by doing... No, because that would mean I would have to see Kick-Ass 2. Oh, well done. I liked the uh, first one, I thought. Uh, I like the Chloe Moritz bits. I don't want to see that other weird dude. I don't know. What's that dude's name? That's not Aaron Johnson, is it? It is, isn't it? Yeah. Savages, brah. Oh, I don't want to watch him. He's the the new Taylor Kitsch. Oh, no, no. What? No, do we already have a new Taylor Kitsch? Yeah, Dwayne Johnson. How dare you? (laughs) How dare you? Kelly Wand, game, set, match. (laughs) All right, Kelly Wand. Let's have a Tuganopsis game on bitches. I should, you can change it again, like next time you see something in a trailer that feels edited to you. Dri- drive it like you bitch it. Yeah. <laughs> drive it like you are driving the car. Like that's how they done it. <laughs> <laughs> Look out for bitches. Yeah. Look out for things on the highway. Man, we're going to. Look out for Harvey. I'm Harvey. Dingus is spoiling two guns. You better get the synopsis. Yeah, oh, he's swinging. I didn't get that line either, Dingus. The Mrs. Mill- the Meet the Millers line. Like why? He's, him doing Bane's funny enough to be in every trailer I've seen for that movie. And he's stealing it from me. What the fuck's up with that? Anyway, two gepsis. Things I'm pretending I heard actors say in two guns while hoping Paula Patton would have another topless scene. Oh, waitress, it's me, Mark Wahlberg. I want to have sex with your donuts, huh? Wink. Damn, Jack, you wink at girls to get them to have sex with you? I usually just say I wasn't in the happening. (laughs) (laughs) That's like saying you weren't in every movie, though. (laughs) Uh, Give me some skin. That's Denzel Washington saying it. Not now, Denzel. I'm busy acting. Say, those cops are fat, not P.H., Hey, that's a good point, white firearms enthusiasts. We're both Weisenheimers, if you ask me. Now go into the bathroom and wave your lighter at the smoke detector. That way we can rob a bank next week. And our meal will be free if I set that stove on fire also, or something. Okay. Hey, you call $2 a tip? Back where I come from, that seems insufficient. Okay, here's $5 more. Now I'm taking it back. Wait, what's the fire we just set? Just burn up whatever money we leave? (laughs) Whatever, that's talking. This is a title screen that says the words two guns on it. Latino extras, shoot those chickens faster, will ya? <laughs> Say, Marky, you're eating the same species those guys are missing with their bullets. That's vaguely ironic. Hi, I'm the actor who played Corporal Adama in that show that had the worst finale ever but wasn't lost. <laughs> My last name is almost the word almost. <laughs> Uh, yeah hey Marky and Denzel there's a guy's head in a bag beside you but don't get excited we're still going to be eight or nine factions over par for the rest of the movie say you're paying me in cash instead of cocaine I'm dissatisfied with this turn of events alright movie protagonist this is a board and we're pointing guns at you come on into the next scene let's go I want a lawyer. I want a lawyer. Okay, now I don't want one, because I'm an undercover DEA agent. Wow, I'm having sex with Paula Patton? Ha ha, only waitress winks for you, Marky. 
Hi, Officer Pat. My name is Marky. I find you sexually attractive. Here we go, the wink. Yeah, I'm walking into a different room now. <laughs> Wait, that's Paula Patton. Is <laughs> Cheers, apparently. Why'd you guys point guns at us and drag us in here just to set up two secondary characters who die, predictably? Kid thinks he's a lawyer. I am a lawyer. Get out of here. Hi, I'm Paula Patton. This is my only nude scene in the movie, so back to sleep for you in a few seconds, Kelly Wand. Hey, Denzel, is this the same hotel room we had sex in in flight? <laughs> Which I didn't see, but I assume that happened in it. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, my character likes your character, or used to, or meant to. I meant to listen. Hey, you gonna join me in nudeness? We are supposed to be having sex. Ha, women. This is Denzel Washington talking, by the way. That's why I sound black. <clears throat> ha, women. You know the rules of MPAA biology. No dicks in R-rated movies, unless they're blue and CG. Or prosthetic, like Marquis. Speaking of which, I gotta rob a bank to arrest Corporal Adama for Mexican tax evasion. You wait outside in a police car and don't shoot me. I think it's tomorrow or next week. Don't listen. <sighs> That's me, by the way. Not the opposite. <clears throat> don't cry, little child actor. I'm not really robbing a bank. I'm a DA agent, and I'm wearing another mask under this mask. But the exterior one's my real face. I'll explain later. Nobody move! AWOL Naval Intelligence! Watch us put $40 billion in $2 bills into the back of a pickup. Now! That's weird. My girlfriend's not here to arrest you. What? I mean, uh, let's drive into the desert and slap fight. <laughs> Ow, you shot me. I better find a vet and say compromising things about him in front of his assistant and then hope they don't call the cops or murder me or each other or let my wound get infected out of spite and that the guy really does know how to take bullets out and he just didn't want to because I hadn't made his assistant fearful for her life by saying shit. I'm James Marsden with the buzz cut. It still doesn't help. I mean... <laughs> Marky, thanks for bringing this 8,000 pounds of cash into my office at the Navy base. Did you murder my... <laughs> uh, that is a dumb fuck. I mean, did you murder my mistress's ex-lover, Denzel Washington, like we didn't tell you to? Who? All right, that's it. Take him to the desert and shoot him. I'm coming too. <laughs> Sir, he got away. We forgot to shoot him, and the one guard we posted by our only car was facing the wrong way. <laughs> Damn it. Why'd I leave the key in the ignition? You were in Straw Dog, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, the CIA keeps his money in a bank and small bills across from a diner on fire with donuts in it. Boys, shoot all these cops. That'll motivate them to cover up our shooting them. I saved this Mexican immigrant from drowning. His buddies didn't because they're Mexican. Can't swim and self-interested. <laughs> That's Denzel saying that. <laughs> Denzel. That's how you say it, isn't it? I mean... So you dude, your woman's sleeping with my evil, stupid ex-senior officer. Then she called him to come here so he could prevent us from torturing an old man in a chair. <sighs> what is something... Look, Marky, having sex with people instantly and forever makes them trustworthy. When you're a little younger, you understood. I was going to shoot you all in the balls, but now that you see me murder your boss, I'm going to let you go. I was going to decapitate both of you with cows, but I'm going to let you go. 
Fuck yeah, Marky, we snuck into a Navy base by driving fast. Good thing they can't call ahead. That's water-based military on land for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's Adenza Washington. <clears throat> Admiral Remo, there's $40 billion in a hotel bed somewhere. I just punched a guy. My buddy's blowing up the base. The CIA, I, I stabbed an MP and robbed a bank. That's enough, Private. I'm letting you go. <laughs> Do nothing about all that shit you just said while I was eating pot roast. Man at arms, something this whatever. Admiral Remo. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> I don't know their names. I mean, Paula, are you dead still? Damn. That Corporal Adama brought a DEA agent's body over the border and put it in her apartment for some reason. I'm disconsolate. She's wearing a ring. Is it a camera she used to get evidence on him? Nope. Hmm. Uh... Well, the longer I stare at it, the more I know which hotel room bed she put $14 billion inside while she was fucking James Marsden. There's probably no one in it now, and no maid service, so here I go. <laughs> okay, everybody in the movie, I brought you all you guys here to watch me open this empty trunk. Ta-da! Hey, look, it's Denzel. That's right, bad guys. I'm wanted for bank robbery, the murders of high-ranking DA agents I was seen with at the border checkpoint two days ago, and blowing up Navy bases. But I still got back across the board in a red convertible full of greenbacks, wired up to some C4, and the border guards gave me no shit this time. Good thing I'm black. Look, no one shot at us. We just shot... Oh, fuck, I got... <laughs> <laughs> See, the long ones fuck me up, because I get them right, and then I relax. That's what she said. Fuck up the extra kick point. Look, no one shot at us, just each other. We're awesome. Yes, Marky, looks like we made them D-E-A-D. Speaking of which, hand me your gun. Eek, you shot me in the leg. I'm crippled for life. Another three inches and something else would have happened. Guess we're not on the hook for all those murders and thefts anymore, despite shitloads of witnesses and loose ends and pending investigations and Rima Williams. (laughs) Yeah, no more happenings for me. This is a movie ending. Yup. We shot guns at stuff, huh? And blew up money. Looks like we're finally at long last on friendly terms for real audience. Go home now. The end. <laughs> no sound effects this week, Tom, because I love you. Oh, thank you, Kelly Wan. That's very sweet. Two guns. Two guns, Kelly Wan. Thank you so much for the two gopsis. Mm. Rush job. Why didn't we see Fruitville Station this week? I don't know. Uh, You picked it. I mean, wait, what did this guy make? Tell us us who this dude is who directed this movie. It's Balzer Kormacher. He made um, The Conjuring, didn't he? (laughs) You guys like that. You're not going to backpedal on that in front of me. How dare you? How dare you? Of course not. Uh, Baltazar Kormakur is a Icelandic director or actor actually who was in a, a movie called From Reykjavik to Iceland, uh, which was this nice. cool movie about smuggling alcohol uh, in countries where that's a thing. And um, we we did a uh, we did a podcast based on the movie that he then directed, which was a remake of that very movie, uh, an American remake starring Mark Wahlberg called Contraband. Oh, I see the connection. Uh, oh. So, yeah, so here he goes now doing another American movie with Mark Wahlberg. Gets Denzel Washington on board. Uh, who can tell me, what's the deal with this being about a, based on a comic book? Who knows what the deal is there? What happened? Mm, 
Well, I made the mistake of mentioning I was seeing this at work, and apparently if something's not Star Trek related, nothing's a spoiler, and the guy's like, yeah, oh yeah, that thing about undercover guys, and like, Well, Kelly Wan, did you watch the trailer? No. Every single plot point. Dingus, was there a single plot point that was... I guess the fact that Paula Patton is treacherous was not in the trailer. No, the only thing that you don't see in the trailer is her actual nipples. You see her naked. (laughs) You see the nude scene. You don't see the actual thing that makes Ah, it a nude scene is that brief glimpse of her nipples before they drape her hair over them uh you don't you you Uh, see the very end of the movie you see every single thing in the trailer it's horrible why are nipples bad i don't understand you see the car nipples nipples good uh you see the impala blowing up with the money you you find out the reveal about the cia that paxton is from the cia uh because that was i i didn't care for this i'm would be surprised if either of you did, but uh, the only thing that I enjoyed here were some of the reveals about, oh, he's undercover, oh, he's undercover, oh, he's the CIA, because uh, I didn't know any of this stuff, so I kind of enjoyed the way some of that unfolded. Um, but yes. otherwise, I, I could complete this. I will have forgotten completely. In two weeks, this movie will be, what was that thing with Mark Wahlberg and Denzel Washington? I mean, that's what that's what this will be in my, in my memory. You, you know, I have to tell you, I really liked it. Ah, well, okay, good. Uh, Dingus, why would you like a movie that's this forgettable? Uh, because I, I, I would have to compare it against, I would have to compare it against Safe House, where Denzel seemed to be sleepwalking through it, uh, against an actor who is really, really trying hard to do well. And watching this, it seemed like Denzel was, was at least enjoying himself, and Mark Wahlberg was just uh, so enthusiastic and energetic. Oh. Um, I really liked a lot of it. I mean, I think okay. a lot of it is laughable. I I thoroughly enjoyed Kelly Wan's Tugopsis, Tugopsis, Tuhuopsis, whatever he called it, um, and and think that the criticisms are justified. But I I had a great time watching it, and part of it is 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 having had to sit through Safe House and watch that. And see something that's much more energetic. It, I really liked a lot of it. Kelly Wan, are you in Camp Tom or Camp Dingus? I think I'm with Camp Dingus, except that I didn't enjoy the two gupses. I think he's way <laughs> off base for that part. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard Dingus say. But the movie, I kind of know what Dingus is saying, and I think it was sort of working for me when it shouldn't have been. But I think at a certain point, I started evaluating the action sequences individually, and then I started going, ah, it's done. Like, it's lame action, but really fun characters. Well, but let's, let's, break, let's break this down into two things, then. Uh, let's talk about the two leads uh, and their chemistry or their energy, and then let's talk about the action scenes, because neither of those things was particularly worked for me. So here's my deal with those two leads. I, I definitely agree with Dingus that there was some, some good energy there. Neither of them seemed to be just phoning it in. Yeah. Um, but they're both... Um, similar? Per- Too similar? Too awesome? Is that what you're going to... No, I was going to say they're both, uh, for, for lack of a better way to put it, as actors, they're both very alpha male. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. So I was, I was really curious to see how is this going to work, throwing these two traditionally alpha male, you know, the movie revolves around me kind of actors doing a buddy picture like this. And even though there was some energy there, even though I, I really enjoyed how Mark Wahlberg seemed playful, uh, Denzel Washington is just eminently watchable anyway. Um, I never really got much of a sense of relationship between the two of them. Uh, 
they play with some of this at, at times it just seemed very inconsistent like they were just going to make up whatever they wanted at times it seemed like Wahlberg was supposed to be really dumb and he couldn't say words correctly at times he was <laughs> he was kind of supposed to be puppy like like oh are we buddies now are we friends um, at times Denzel was like supposed to be cold and removed and the whole thing was maybe about him finally deciding oh yes I do have people you know I, you're, you're now my family that traditional buddy thing where he, he breaks down his reserve and he embraces the relationship um, but I, I, it all just felt really rote and, uh, and often inconsistent and uh, I just didn't feel like there was much beyond them just kind of having fun separately like there just didn't seem much interaction there and am i off base with that did, did mm. that come through for you guys it, it, i would start to feel that way and then something in the movie i, I would kind of admire would happen like i kind of like denzel's thing with the mirror in the apartment where he's kind of faking out where uh, he's putting on his hat brim that hat no brim where he, he shoots him he shoots himself in the mirror oh, right 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 which right. is totally like stupid because mark Wahlberg, as the sniper knows his own apartment so he knows there's a mirror there i mean it's a dumb sequence and that by the way gets to my problem i want to get to it in a second i didn't there's one action sequence i liked in this movie everything else i thought was dumb like that or sloppy um but go ahead so kelly Wan. so some of the times you you liked some i liked when they played chicken with trucks and then they both screeched <laughs> up and then only good action scenes. i love that little bit <laughs> The, the yeah. fight was so great. Uh, was I love that fight. Fight. It was a good fight, and it, 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 I that, but that counted for a lot with me, actually. Because if it had sucked, I'd go, "Well, this is this movie's fucked up the one thing it could have done right." <laughs> but it did that right, and I'm like, "Well, <laughs> it's not the worst thing I've sat through this year." It was kind of it smelled the dumbness started kind of uh, being funny to me, and I was kind of enjoying myself more than I think I should have. Well, well, Dingus, you, you tend to be sort of more like me in terms of uh, sussing out little acting things and whether or not characters have chemistry or relationships. I presume that their relationship, like you felt like there was something there that worked for you pretty well. You know, I think what happened is that I think I think Mark Wahlberg melted Denzel Washington's ice <laughs> because as, as I as I watched this. Um, I get the sense that Denzel Washington is just trying to be his persona, and Mark Wahlberg is just – and I, I don't know. Did you see Puppy Dog? Somebody said Puppy Dog. Yeah, yeah. He's very Puppy Dog-like. He's very ill-defined. He's, no, he's not ill-defined. He's just – he's got this – there's this great thing, and I wrote this note like about halfway through the movie where I where I wrote, gee, you know, I really liked it when he was the dumb guy more. Right. But – I think it's a it's a fairly complex character because he has to morph. He, he's this dopey Stigman guy, Stig, and and he's hilarious and he's winking and he winks at um, what's her name, uh, Paula Portman. I forget her, uh, the character. Pat Paula Portman. Yeah, um, Paula so, Portman. Uh, she was oh, from yeah. the Phantom Menace. Um, he, he winks at her and she comes into the other room and says, "Boy, you're boy Stigman." Blah blah blah, uh, and then you you find out that he's not that dumb a character, and he becomes boring for a while, and then he lapses back into that. And I realize that he's that Wahlberg's having to play this sort of multi layered character, and then I get the sense that in addition to that, he's kind of having to melt through Denzel's uh, ice. Because I think Denzel has to be a star, or he he tries to be a star so much of the time, and I think that you see that dynamic develop over the course of the movie, and I really 
like that. I mean, there there's a couple moments that I really grooved on that, where I really liked where Mark Wahlberg would just be so happy and and so in, just obviously enjoying what was going on. And I would see Denzel Washington's sort of go, okay, I'm going to warm to this too. Um, and, and that, and that's, that's what I liked about their developing dynamic. I, you know, obviously a movie is not shot in sequence, so you can't really say that. Um, but I, I got this feeling over the course of watching the movie that, that this relationship developed in, in a different way because of, not only because of the way the characters were having to work through it, but the way the actors are having to work through it. And I really, really liked that. Okay. Uh, although I have to say, where you see complexity, I'm pretty sure it was just inconsistency. Like, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it still made. I still. The twists and the, the story beats and the action sequences were all weak, but. Uh, I don't know. It, 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 it compensated for it. Well, hold that thought. What, what, do you, what do you mean by inconsistency? Go ahead, Tom. Uh. Oh, just, you know, is he dumb? Is he smart? Is he the the by the book military man? Uh, these guys who are supposed to be his best friends who've betrayed him. Does that really bother him? Is this movie supposed to be grim? Are they wisecracking? Yeah. Uh, is it more of a buddy film? You know, what sort of tone? I mean, inconsistency about his, his character is just part of what I saw as a lot of inconsistency in terms of like tone, what kind of movie it was trying to be, the action sequences, the stakes, the storyline, the relationships. Um, well, like, you know, you say he had a complex character, and and I don't know. I mean, the 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 whole the whole point of the movie is is revealing. Okay, they're both undercover. Uh, who knows what about whom? Uh, and it just didn't seem very carefully put together. No. Um, like I think of a movie. What's the uh, Infernal Affairs? Is sort of the, the yeah. textbook example of how that goes. And oh. this looked like the comic book version of that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, that's it's a good the point. two. And I just, you know, where there should be these nuances about who knows what about whom, it just seemed like they were going for the charm and the easy laugh. And, oh, now let's have a dire moment uh, with an action sequence. And, you know, for instance, Paula Patton getting killed. I, what, did that really bother him? Did that really motivate him to do uh-huh. revenge? I mean, in the end, they seem really willing to just be mean-spirited to poor Edward James Olmos's dying corpse. I mean, was that a revenge thing? Did anyone really no, he shot her in the head, revenging her. Yeah, but did they really care? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, it, it just seems like a... I thought a little. Yeah, it just seemed very comic booky in its approach to this kind of double undercover plot thing. Um, but here's another thing, too, uh, getting more back to their, their personas as actors and where I didn't feel like there was a relationship so much as them each doing their shtick. Um... First of all, Bill Paxton, not a very imposing heavy, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so the scene where he's supposed <laughs> to be torturing Denzel Washington with the Russian roulette thing, and they set it up where we'd see it work effectively. But then for whatever magical reason, Denzel could not be bothered. He couldn't care less if someone's going to shoot him in the leg. Or he's willing to make a joke about, oh, the money's not down there, when he's got the gun on his testicles or whatever. Um Denzel Washington being impervious to torture against a lightweight actor like Bill Paxton playing the supervillain just didn't work for me. There was no sign of like fear or stakes. Uh, it all of that that sort of gun to the balls stare down that they had was so completely manufactured and hollow to me. Um, and it was because here's Denzel just doing Denzel, just doing his character. Um, you know, I. 
Paxton, Bill Paxton should have done that thing with the thumbtacks to him. I'd like to see him hold up against that. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that, that just well, is, his you know, hands, that right? His hands can't be penetrated like that. I guess not, yeah. Maybe he's got super hands. I don't know. Well, uh, and he came up with that on the fly. Like, if, the, if he hadn't shot Denzel's boss, I assume Bill Paxton would have killed him or done more than... Well, you know, it reminded me, you know, Dingus, you brought up Safe House, and I'm glad you did, because that that also uh, just, it's one of those action movies that just kind of coasts, and there's not slow, too. And this one was at least. Well, Denzel is so bored in it, and and it makes me so angry because Ryan Reynolds is so good, and so, and and working so hard. And I I think that in that movie, Ryan Reynolds is running circles around Denzel because he's working so hard, and in this movie, Mark Wahlberg is charming him. Right, absolutely, I agree with that. But but there's a moment in Safe House where uh, it's been set up that I think Robert Patrick is one of the badass Navy SEALs dudes, and I forget if it's him. Yeah, I think it's his team. They're going to uh, waterboard Denzel Washington, mm. and I believe the movie has set up previously the you know the enormity of being waterboarded, and how nobody can stand up under that kind of pressure. So we're now going to see tough as nails, super cool, unflappable Denzel Washington get waterboarded. And I, I remember thinking, how is that going to, you know, the movie, he's going to break. You know, you can't hold up under that. And so they're waterboarding him for a little bit. And then the movie turns into a gunfight. You know, at that point, a bunch of the super baddies show up and kill everyone. And um, But I remember, you know, Denzel didn't seem to have any fear of being waterboarded. He was somebody who had done this, who should have known how effective it was. But because he wanted to play the star, he wanted, because his celebrity was more to the forefront, his persona, than whatever character he was playing. He was just unfazed by the prospect of being waterboarded in Safe House. And it felt like the same thing in his standoff with Bill Paxton here. Um, well, that, that's a good point. But, you know, part of that is is set against the fact that you're right, that Bill Paxton is such a lightweight in this. But I don't think uh, he's supposed to be. I mean, I think that's, that's why he would be unfazed. By no, him. he's not. He's not supposed to be. He's just right. not. There's nothing menacing about him. He's got a silly accent, and uh, we're just supposed to go with what we've seen before, which Denzel hasn't seen. And then if you have a gun pointed at your leg or any part of your body or your balls, you're going to react, and he doesn't at all. And that is really disturbing. I agree with that. And that, that to me is part of the inconsistency that I talk about. You know, there are times like, is it, you know, they're getting whacked in the torso with a baseball bat while they're hanging upside down. And, okay, so this is the kind of movie where it doesn't really bother them and they're going to crack wise. I guess that's okay, but then the stakes are lost on me. Um, so it seemed like a lot of times it didn't really know, you know, did this want to be a midnight run or a true romance? Uh, I just felt like it didn't really know what it was going for. And if it had gone, if it had veered more one way or the other, I think I would have enjoyed it. Um, but that, so that's an overall tone thing. Um, let's talk about some of the action scenes. Uh, Kelly Wand, you were disappointed in some of them, or we, we, I think we all loved the trucks sliding into each other and the punch out through the window and the use of the side view mirror <laughs> as, as a shield. Yeah. Like if there had been maybe two more scenes that clever in the movie, I, I probably would have come around. Well, it comes early, too. Like, I like that they expose you. Like, they're fighting one-on-one early in the movie. Like, it's not going to make me wait the whole time. But then you also do get cheated of who's a better shot. You you, You lose out on them versus each other if they fight together for the whole movie. I don't know. Well, there are a lot of... There's a lot of screen time when they're not with each other. 
You know, when they're when they're separate, doing their own investigations, and that's another thing too, where the movie seems really concerned with its plot and its intrigue, right. rather than being a, a movie about witty banter. I, by the way, I love the early witty banter stuff between the two of them, uh, and uh, a lot of that I wanted back when they're off instead doing their own things apart from each other. Uh, yeah, they're not they're not shooting enough people fast enough, and then at the end they just call everyone and go, all right, shoot everybody. <laughs> shoot all, everyone I, I don't recall them being apart that too terribly much i mean maybe i'm looking at it in this sort of from the lens of uh furious six where uh, paul walker goes off to america for five days and then comes back but uh, i don't see that here i don't see that much nah, time they're, they're apart i kind I mean, of go with tom actually. yeah cons- compared no. to something like midnight run dingus where it's all about they have to do yeah, yeah. the entire True. movie they're not i mean i've that. never seen that movie but uh, i can understand <laughs> what you're saying uh, but the whole, I mean, that, that's sort of my point is there are times here where they go off in their separate investigations and deal with their superiors and their own particular intrigue before they feather back into each other. It's this weird pattern where if it had been a buddy movie, it, a better buddy movie, it would have really flagged because they're not together. But uh, when are they, they, they apart for that long? Well, one of them shoots the other one, and they're away from each other there. Uh, they're yeah. going off doing their own little investigations at, at times. They're separate uh, at the army base. Or the, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they drop the them off base, at the army They're both base. doing a plan, and one's doing part of the plan, and the other's doing the other part of the plan. They right. never shoot guys together till the end, though. It's like they come separately to the last gunfight. They leave at the Navy base. And there's callbacks to, oh, hey, I did. now I crashed through the barrier and like last time. They're interrogated they together. I, um, I don't see that. Okay, they were together when they crossed. He has more. He has more scenes with Paula Patton than he has with Wahlberg. Right, right, exactly. I think there's there's a there's a, the stuff where he establishes his relationship with Paula Patton and where Wahlberg. Yeah, the army base thing is a classic example. Let's break into and ridiculous. By the way, I guess I'm okay with that. But yeah, like ridiculous the- thing about let's break into an army base. No, I'm going to drop you off, and I'm going to go do stuff, and you do stuff. I'm going to I'm going to go talk to my arch villain, and you go talk to your arch villain, and we'll have separate arch villain confrontations. Both fail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and <laughs> Neither of which goes anywhere. Out, right, and then which we I love, by the way. I don't know. I agree with Dingus. I, I did love like that. that. Yeah, it's just uh, so stupid. Does it care? That, that word thing is just like, yeah, that's nice. Uh, see you. Enjoy the buffet. <laughs> Yeah, if you can't get this right, we shouldn't be working together anyway. <laughs> but it's like when you when he smiles at seeing Denzel Washington in the Navy uniform, I go, oh, he knows now that there was laundry being done that day. <laughs> <laughs> like the smiles, the money shot, Wahlberg smiling, like, ha, ah, he found a uniform. Never mind. Uh, so the the action stuff. Uh, who liked the action stuff? Uh, I loved the action stuff in this. I really loved it. For me, uh, once we got to the point where that where that um, command center blew up ridiculously, I, I suddenly sat there and thought, and this is not meant as a dig at you, Tom, in any way. I just want to make that clear. You're I, not I, uh, at me. Go ahead. I'm Bring not it. making a dig. Game on, bitches. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, when when that thing was blowing up so ridiculously i suddenly thought oh my gosh this is a michael bay movie with a brain i mean re- i really liked that i liked how ridiculous that explosion how is that a dig at me how dare you <laughs> i know you love him so much and i didn't want you to think that i was di- uh, making a dig Tom is anti-brain again i didn't want you to think that i was doing that I, you know, there were times i watched this movie and i thought this is like star wars but with a brain but i don't mean that as a dig at you, <laughs> 
It was like being gain without a brain. Because I did like the action. I could tell when people were fighting each other. I loved that that uh, that truck chase scene. I mean, obviously, oh. we, we all. That was not Dingus. That was not a truck chase scene. That was a Ford commercial. <laughs> I love no. Well, most of this movie is a Dodge commercial, by the way, because we've got two Dodge. One's a Dodge Challenger, I think, and one's a Dodge Charger. And they and how they, mad are you? When I saw that car, I'm like, they better f that car up. That car better be involved in a super badass chase. That that beautiful black Dodge. No, that Dodge muscle car. No. No, no car no, chase. No, it just gets shot by a, a gunship, and then it sits there. Oh, so disappointing! <laughs> but it made me think of Dom. I mean, it, it, I, do you guys remember what what car Sounds that? Um, what I'm sorry, what car Vin Diesel drove in the first Fast and Furious? Wasn't it a Dodge Charger or Challenger? One of those. Oh, definitely, yeah, badass muscle. It had an engine. Uh, but I, I agree with you. I mean, I hated that he drove that up there, and then they just shot across the hood, and that was it. Yeah. But Tom, they picked him up, man. It was her car that was also a Dodge Challenger or Charger or whatever. And I wonder if Dodge just had a huge, like, stake in this movie. Well, the thing, Dingus, about the, the action that bothered me is there was a, uh, you know, I did like the little uh, car-to-car, punch-through-the-window, wrestle, you let go of me, no, you let go of me. That was cute. But but all the gunfights were just like, okay, here's footage of one guy shooting, and now we're going to edit to footage of another guy shooting, and now edit to footage of this guy shooting, and now edit footage of this guy getting shot and falling over. You know, all of those gunfight things were just like these 80s-era Schwarzenegger just spliced together footage of dudes shooting their guns. It wasn't even that good. It was like the A-Team television show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're absolutely right about that. That's but, not and, and, the, the and, cow barn. That was just horrible. But, but that sniper thing that, that where, uh, you know, what a great opportunity, that little sniper mission. And it was just kind of this jumble of Wahlberg saying, OK, run across the hall. And then a shot of him ducking behind someone. I mean, that could have been. a. And that, to be fair, Baltazar Kermakur, clearly he's not, you, you know, that's not his forte. He's not doing this as a meticulously choreographed action movie. But I just thought there were some really good opportunities, like in that sniper scene, maybe with some of the car chase stuff. Uh, and certainly that, that final shootout with all the factions showing up, that just felt so rote to, to me. It's a deus ex machina, because they arranged it easily. Yeah, I mean, it's very true romance in a way. Like, again, I just can't yeah. help but think, of, let's bring all the factions together and then they fight each other. I was so frustrated by that sniper scene uh, because, you know, you, you really make a good point. Um, and all I could think about was the idea uh, – because there there's such an opportunity there for um, there to be this really cool, I'm going to direct you through this, but right. – in order to do that, the other character, the character Denzel is playing, has to be vulnerable. And he has to be exactly. completely vulnerable. Yep. He has to be directed through the entire thing, and it has to be complete. But I could just imagine Denzel or his people sitting in the editing room going, no, uh, okay, you can tell him to hide behind the lockers, but at some point Denzel has to choose just to run into a closet on his own because he's got great instincts. Because yeah. That scene didn't play out the way it should have. And all I could feel was Denzel's fingerprints on it going, no, no, I've got great instincts, so let me just run around the room at some point without him directing me, because it should have been him totally directing him the whole time. And so then, you're right, Tom. You're absolutely right about that. 
it's also dings another instance I feel of, uh, and, and this doesn't bother me so much as the character stuff, but if Mark Wahlberg is such a good shot and he's got a sniper rifle and he's looking at three guys because there were three guys in his apartment and I think after a lot of exchanges of gunfire, he wings one of them or something. But a, a guy with a sniper rifle that's as good as him, you know, he can shoot the heads off buried chickens from 50 feet or whatever, yeah. and he can't kill three people who he has a drop on with a sniper rifle. I mean, it just they just wanted to shoot guns back and forth and uh, whatever. So or, the action... Or if he's got, or if you're going to do the the tone of him shooting chicken heads, then have him shoot straps off of their um, off of their guns so that the guns <laughs> fall down. Or I have him shoot a vase that pops into some guy's head because if he's good enough that he can avoid the uh, femoral artery or whatever he's doing, then with the sniper rifle he can he can pinpoint accuracy, you know, drop things on people's heads. Then do that kind of thing. But honestly, you're right. Right. Okay, here's here's something that drives me bonkers that I'm sure neither of you will care about, and I'm guessing you guys didn't even notice. Uh, th- there's a point where Bill Paxton, who is from the CIA, says something about, uh, we can call in Apache A6 helicopters on you. Um, <laughs> the Apache is the AH-64. That is its military designation. The A-6 is actually a Vietnam-era interceptor, like it's a big ground bomber. I mean, what's going on that they complete – you could look that up on Wikipedia. If you want to say the Apache blah, blah, blah and say the number as if you're used to commanding them, as if you're used to calling them in – why would you get that wrong? That's, re- that's redonkulous to me. Not only that – It's ridiculous. He shows up during the big scene, during the the big shootout at the end, with this really low-rent Huey helicopter. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. So I don't know if he just ordered the wrong thing or he doesn't. But the fact that they didn't even bother to look up the actual designation of an Apache helicopter. uh, I mean, it's one of those. He's playing the same character he was playing in True Lies. Very good, Kelly Wand. I'll take that. Uh, What were you going to say? I'm sorry. No, that's it. I just wanted to briefly nerd rant because there are so few things that I know some technical things about, and that's one of them. So I was curious be- about Mar- how like Wahlberg was AWOL for stabbing a guy, even though shooting's his thing. Yeah, was that uh, a frame? That was just no, that was a- this when he stabs. It's a frame up. It yeah, frame up. Uh, it's a frame up. All right, and that's why he has to be in the field, and and then no um, Cyclops gets to hold that over him for the Cyclops. Whole time. <laughs> Uh, okay, I did love, um, and I guess they did something with it, but I wished they had done nothing with it and it just let it be in the scene. When they're interrogating Edward James almost in Paula Patton's garage and the light keeps turning off and he has I to love, wave his hand. I love that. Why didn't but they, like did it, that? they did it to make, a, they, to make a stupid thing where, oh, that's how Mark Wahlberg spots the, the elite army guys stalking him outside. Oh. I would have loved that if what they just – went. Yeah, so I would have loved that if they had just let that be a cute little touch. You know, where we're in this garage and the light keeps turning off, so he has to wave his hand. That was adorable, but they use it. They use it when he goes back into the garage and the light turns off, so he can see outside one of his uh, navy buddies running past the window. I mean, it's a setup for that. Um, But I just would have liked that little detail. I mean, what what a weird, quirky little detail to have in the scene. I did. I did. I so loved that. That's one of my little. I just love that little moment. Yeah. waving his hand there. That's great. Uh, how did you guys feel about... So, Baltazar Kormakur is... Dingus, is he from Greenland or Iceland? Do you know? Iceland. He's Iceland. 
Okay. How did you guys <laughs> feel uh, about the um, – I, I thought there were some – I don't know if they're from the comic book or if it was just something that the screenwriter put in or if it was maybe something that Baltazar Cormacur as, as a non-American wanted to do. Uh, how did you feel about the touches of some – what I would describe as messagey bits in here? Did you catch any of that? Uh, maybe not. Maybe, maybe it's uh, Dingus. Did anything strike you? Yeah. Well, that that stuff with Fred Ward did. Well, well, right, right. I mean, there's this sense of first of all the Navy being uh, the the villain kind of here. That that was part of it. And then as Fred Ward, as he's dragged away from Fred Ward, he yells something like, "Without us, those stars on your shoulder are just a fucking costume." Uh, there's this idea of like the, the Navy betraying it, uh, the country, and there's this very um, there's an, sort of an anti-military current, and I'm okay with that, by the way. I don't mind that, uh, but I think that's not in vogue in a lot of typical jingoistic action movies. So that kind of stood out for me, and it made me wonder, by the way, if there was something that we lost where his buddy with the hooked hand was yeah. somehow a, a disenchanted war veteran or, or something who was helping him hide weapons. You know, why are they stashing weapons without the knowledge of the military? Um, so that kind of stuck out for me. Um, and then there's the, all the all this stuff about the CIA, uh, you know, having all this slush fund money that they're going to use for various things that uh, can't be tracked down, yep. and that they're going to pay. One of the things that sort of ruined a little bit of my enjoyment of this, because I think you're right, Tom, about the um, the tone of the movie, is that something that's really disturbing to me in watching this is. How much, how horrific the idea of the Mexican drug war cartels actually is. And the idea that, uh, we, that the CIA would take money from one of them to yep. facilitate sort of a, a drug trafficking kind of a thing when there's actual real horror going on because of this is pretty disturbing to me. Well, it's, there's even some line, I forget who has it, but someone at one point says it's a free market, it's not a free world right. uh, about that thing. And that's also kind of messaging. The funny thing is, Dingus, it's kind of uh, like in the wake of the invasion of Iraq, it's sort of like you don't have to do – to make the CIA look bad, you don't really need to do <laughs> this stuff. They, they already kind of look bad enough. You can just say CIA. You don't have to make clear this kind of Iran-Contra uh, – controversy stuff you don't really have to do that anymore but there was also some bit about um that i think i you know i wonder if this is part of baltazar kermacur is a non-american his commentary uh there's a little bit about immigration um you know where edward james Mm. almost says to denzel you know you go the way you force my people you go to the country you go into the states the way you force my people to go into the country which is a kind of an odd, heavy-handed description of immigration, but that border crossing scene, obviously, and you know, Kelly even made some joke about uh, Denzel saving the poor guy drowning in the Rio Grande. I don't know what that was, but uh, that that was that was, uh, you know, why did they do that? That just seemed like a little messagey touch they wanted to get in there. That seemed odd to me. What him saving the guy or them? Well, no, no, this idea. Yeah, that, well, that, but what was that for? I yeah, didn't understand the the way that the scene was staged. I didn't understand because he threw something to Mark Wahlberg for Mark Wahlberg to hold for him, and then he jumped in the water to save the guy, and then he bro- took the I guy to the shore, and then Mark Wahlberg handed him back his package of stuff. 
right? I, yeah, and I, I think the I think it was mainly there because they uh, wanted a, a montage for. Uh, it sounded like Jack White. I don't know who the song was. I meant to look, but didn't yeah. stay for the credits. Uh, but they wanted a montage for that. But it was a transition where they, you know, when Edward James almost lets them go, they could have just cut to them being in the States. We didn't need to get that little sequence. But for whatever reason, we, they, you know, the movie wanted to show us that they go the same way that illegal immigrants enter the, the United States. Uh-huh. But then he gets back in a convertible. <laughs> yeah. What it reminded me yeah. was was how quaint uh, Reykjavik to Rotterdam's idea of smuggling alcohol seemed to me. Yeah, yeah that is kind of adorable, isn't it? Yeah. Like, oh, we're going to bring a bunch of vodka across the border. Oh, my vodka, really? Oh, gosh, how are you going to do that? <laughs> so that's a, it, I mean, that's a real thing, but it's just – it's such a weird sort of juxtaposition to uh, smuggling cocaine or huge amounts of cash or whatever. Yeah. Uh, did you guys notice any weird editing with Paula Patton? Like there were times that I don't know if she was like uh, it was her. Like I don't know what her facial expression is or who she's responding to. Yeah, it seems okay. like it's footage from another movie. Was that just me too, or was there just like some weird editing going on with her? Mm. The thing I don't like about dating white girls is there's not a language barrier. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one Oh, Kelly, why do you never fail to disappoint? Uh, that's not what the girl says. JK. That's not what the girl says? <laughs> that you're, that you're translation of... Alright. The stork at the end of Jurassic Park was a can answer your question. Girls find a way. Kelly, speaking of never failing to disappoint, what is this week's 3 by 3 What? Is that going to be how you're going to be for the whole list? What? Is that how you're going to be? I bet write down your names. Now, Kelly, want to tell us this 3 by 3 because, no, I like it, and I really like my picks. When you said it, I was like, oh, whatever. But I really like the three things you made me come Wait, up with. You, you liked it but last week. So that now is, is a lie, apparently. Well, I, I was like, oh, he just made something up off the cuff. He has no idea. But then as I thought about it, you know, I was like, okay, well, maybe there's one interesting thing. But over the course of the week, I really like the three things I came up with, and they're not typical. And so I, uh, I totally agree with Tom. I love yeah. I really love this topic. There was a lot to choose from, um, and I like what I came up with. Good job. So explain it to the listeners, Kelly Wand. Three best trees or uses <laughs> of trees in movies. But I could have sworn we did it already, and no one remembers. No, we did three best dandelions. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Tom broke that topic, I remember. Uh, well, I'll, I'll be introducing next week's three by three, so I will start first. Um, this is the one that I really enjoyed remembering. The other two, you guys are, well, uh, this is, uh, and it made me go back and look at the scenes in three different iterations of this movie. Now, Kelly Wan, let me ask you. It's still a tree even when it falls down, right? If no one's there to hear it, then Because <laughs> no. this is technically a log. It's a big-ass log, and it's, 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 a, it's lying over a ravine. And I remember being really freaked out as a kid by uh, – and this – so this – my 3 by 3 this is a, a movie from 1933 for Pete's sake. I remember really being freaked out by – as a kid – 
probably more than any other scene in the movie, by the scene in King Kong where the sailors, the guys from the ship, are getting across a ravine on a on this log that's fallen. And when King Kong chases them, he doesn't just run out there and like kill them or whatever. He's rocking the log back and forth, and they fall off of it into the ravine to their deaths. And I remember that really freaking me out as a kid because – and I watched the scene again – there's this sense of, of just malice with the way he's shaking that tree and they're, they're desperately hanging on. They don't want to fall because they're going to die. And King Kong, he's shaking it and he, he doesn't, he, he wants them to fall off. He does not just want, he could smash them or whatever. And he eventually just knocks the log into the ravine when he can't shake the last guy off. But he's toying with them. And yeah. it's really grim. And every time one of them falls, I didn't remember this, but this was clearly a part of why it freaked me out as a kid. Every time one of them falls, the movie cuts to them hitting the bottom of the ravine. Oh, awesome. Uh, it's clearly a dummy or something that they've thrown, but a guy falls, you see him fall off the edge of the screen, and then they insert a shot of this dummy smacking into the bottom of the ravine. So every single guy that falls, you, you see him hit. Um, well, Kong edited the movie, too. <laughs> I don't think that's right. I don't think Apes oh. did that really want. Uh, so then there's the 1976 movie uh, uh, with Jeff Bridges, who, by the way, it's ridiculous to watch. He is in such a full Big Lebowski mode in that 1976 King Kong. He's got the big old beard and the <laughs> Shit log. Shit out of White Russian on the log. Like, hey, you're spilling the beverage. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and it, at least it gets it. It kind of gets the idea of how, how grim that scene is, even though it's really cheesy with the, stown, the sound stage where they shoot it. And there's that matte effect where the guy's falling against the special effect of the ravine and it looks hokey. Um, but it reminds, you know, in the Peter Jackson movie, and I love the Peter Jackson movie, but not for the action scenes. I love the Peter Jackson movie for Naomi Watts and yeah. Andy Serkis' animated gorilla and for their interaction. You know, Peter Jackson got so much right with that. But the log scene is an example of Peter Jackson not getting it right. He uses the log scene. A few guys get shook off, whatever. But the log scene is mainly an excuse for this CG ride down the ravine because Kong just throws the log when they're on it. And uh, it bounces down the ravine and they doesn't ride torture it. them. Right, he doesn't torture him, and it's an, right. it's an excuse for a CG ride down into the ravine where there's going to be a really weird, gross bug scene. Um, and it's just kind of misspread. Like, the, the malice you get in the original King Kong is from Kong. The malice in that really uncomfortable bug scene is just from these random bugs who are hungry. Um, so anyway, that's my number three, is those poor guys trying to get across that log, the fallen tree, in King Kong in 1933. That sequence would have been good in 2001, like when he threw the bone up, and then you see that the next step of evolution is uh, kind of going backwards, because it's like the log's the bone, but the apes are in charge. How are you going to get a bunch of guys on the bone trying to cross the <laughs> That's what the star child's looking at when he gets here. <laughs> How are you going to get a bunch of guys on the boat? That's the only question Tom had about all that gibberish I just said. Yeah, how are you going to get the guys on it? Kelly, I'm going to give that some thought while we go over to Dingus's number three pick for favorite use of a tree. Maybe he's got a line for us, Dingus. I don't, because I don't speak Spanish. Um, and this is the dead tree from Pan's Labyrinth. Ah, that's my number one. Damn you. Sorry. It's a good one, though, huh? It, well, since it's your number one, go ahead and talk about it. It's the best tree I've ever seen in a movie, I think, isn't it? Like, you, you go inside it, it looks good on the inside and the outside. Right? 
That's why I picked it. <laughs> well, I, I picked it because as soon as you talked about trees, that's the first thing I wrote down, and then I wrote down silly things and talked about silly things, and then over the course of the week, I thought about other things. But uh, the first thing I thought about was the Pan's Labyrinth tree and how much I love the... Uh, the, I mean, there's the iconic image of her approaching it, and there's the toad, and all. The, I mean, I just love that tree. I love the way that tree looks. Um, and so, when you talk about best trees in movies, Pan's Labyrinth, and it's your number one. So, go ahead. I thought it was the best looking tree I'd seen in a movie, but I assumed it was a real tree. But it's also a tree where it's like two trees kind of put together, right? And then, isn't that where the frog lives inside it? But, so it's yeah. her first adventure, too. So it's like her entrance into the labyrinth is the tree. And therefore, it's the best tree in any movie. I'm, I, I don't know about best in any movie. It's certainly an awesome tree. Uh, the thing, I remember showing you this, Dingus. Uh, when she goes into the, the tree, there's a shot from inside the tree with her silhouetted against the light outside. And Ophelia is never in the movie really a sexual creature. It's not so much about her sexuality, even though that's clearly a lot of what is up with this idea of a fawn, um, that the, the, the creature that's luring her to do the, those things. Clearly there's some metaphors about sexuality, but there's a moment when she's navigating her way because she's got a dress on that she doesn't want to get messed up. When she's navigating her way into that tree where she does this really just strangely alluring, like she kind of cocks her hips to go around a, uh, an outcropping in the tree to sort of fit through the hole. And it's just just deliciously in this wonderful, understated way, this really sexual gesture, you know, her going into that tree um, that I remembered showing you once, Dingus. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's you know. the female empowerment bookend of the evil dead tree. Kelly Wand, I think you're getting a little ahead of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get to the root of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, Pan's Labyrinth, always happy to see that showing up. Also, uh, that would be best use of a bottle, by the way. Pan's Labyrinth would have... Uh, the same book. scene? I think I've made that reference before. Uh, no, somebody gets somebody gets hit in the head with a bottle. Like, the, the general guy is just a real jerk with a bottle at one point in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wand! Bottle. Never mind that, Kelly Wand. Oh, what is your number three pick for best use of a tree in a movie or a favorite movie tree? My number three favorite tree uh, is uh, okay. I'll do a line from it. <clears throat> hey, that tree's eating my son. It's got to be the guardian. No, it's the oh, oh, poltergeist. Right, right, right. right. Oh, the poltergeist. <laughs> I met someone at work this week who hadn't seen Poltergeist, and he was our age, which I think I've never met anyone our age who hasn't seen that movie. Uh, Poltergeist, directed by Steven Spielberg, right? Well, he filled in for Tobe Hooper, was kind of coming down on acid. That was the first tree that creeped me out as a kid, I think. And it also, like every time I hear tree branch scrape my window, I always think of that tree. But he climbed it, so it's like he'd mastered the tree, and the tree in a way was taking revenge on him. Although it was possessed by Mormon ghosts, as we learn in the second movie. So in a way, the fact yes, Kelly Wand. that Desert's the villain in the second Poltergeist movie is maybe why the tree's mad in the first movie. Because it's raining, it's getting nourishment right before it freaks out. You'd think it would be too busy drinking rain to eat a little boy, wouldn't you? Yeah. It's a, that's my favorite quote from that movie. <laughs> uh, isn't there a William Friedkin movie called The Guardian or something about like a nanny who's actually a killer tree? 
I've never seen uh, it. I'm pretty sure there's a William Friedkin movie about a woman who is actually a killer tree, or a killer tree who well, turns yeah. into a woman. Oh yeah, and she cries blood. Is that, that I don't one? know. I've never seen it. It's post like post Jade. When when was Jade out? I think he did it right after Jade. But it's definitely uh, lesser Friedkin. Um, was that his review of the, of producing Jade? Like I was trying to make a tree, and then the studio made my eyes bleed. Is that what he's trying? Is that what you're saying he was trying to do? I've actually never heard William Friedkin talk about the experience of making Jade. He made horror movies after Jade. <laughs> mm. What was that movie where the trees were evil and vines? No, uh, the ruins. Is that the one I'm thinking of? Those weren't trees. Those were vines. Yeah, they they were flowers and vines, and they were evil, and they they lured. Yeah, but you made a log, a dead tree. Like by your logic, a whole wall made out of planks is. A, you uh, said I could. Yeah, I know. Okay. I'm just saying. All right. Whatever okay. you. Don't punish me for following your rules, Kelly Wand. No, I know, but a vine's just a tree that's flaccid. Kelly Wand, in no universe is a vine a tree. Flaccid tree. <laughs> flaccid tree. <laughs> Kelly Wand, my number two pick for a favorite tree in a movie, uh, which uh, Dingus, earlier today, Dingus, I made some joke about a tree in um, Empire Strikes Back, which <laughs> I wasn't even aware there was any such thing. So Dingus thought that I was fishing for one of his picks, so he came up to me and basically revealed that he knew one of my picks for a favorite tree. Uh, and I think I've talked about it on the podcast before. So this is no surprise to Dingus. Um, but Kelly Wan, my pick for a favorite tree in a movie, my number two pick is a very thin, maybe 15-foot-tall birch tree. Um, it's framed very carefully against the, uh, the Swedish landscape. And it's just sort of standing up alone. It's not that... It's not that regal. And Max von Sydow walks up to it, and he pushes it, and it won't quite come loose, and he pushes it the other way, and he pulls it, and he's pushing it, and he he, he wrestles it out of the ground. Oh. And, and then he takes out a uh, – not a machete because it's like his sword. And, and, and after tearing it down off the ground, he cuts off a bunch of branches from it, and then he uses it – to take a ritual bath and to flog himself with the birch branches. <laughs> then and he's, he's doing this to purify himself before he murders some house guests who are staying with him. Kelly Wand, name the movie. Uh, Wild Strawberries? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Or, um... But I love, I love the tree scene, the birch tree scene. I mean, I love so much about Virgin Spring, Ingmar Bergman's movie. Oh. Uh, and I just love the, I love Max von Sydow coming up to that tree. And you can only see that movie for the first time once. But when you see that movie yeah, for the first like time, when you see that movie for the first time, and he walks up to the tree and he sort of considers it, and uh, it's almost like this acknowledgement of, yeah, I'm going to take you down. And then he starts pushing it, and you're like, what is he doing? What does he think is going to happen? And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. He's just so intent to take that thing down. I love that scene. Uh, uh, seeing that movie the first time hurts, I heard, but then if you rewatch it, it's not as bad. You get used to it. Um, I don't know. I mean, the the, the brutal scenes in that are, are brutal, just not because they're graphic, but just because they're they're so well done in this very quiet sort of a. Uh, Sterile way, not sterile. That's not the word I'm looking for. But this very Burdant. sort of what can I want? Verdant. 
Which is a euphemism for sterile, I think. Uh, no, just uh, just sort of quiet, dispassionate. Like there's yeah. there's no music or camera angles. It's just this this just terrible stuff. It just just happens. Uh, it's just very matter of fact. Um, well, I was just doing a joke about the word version. I didn't wasn't trying to make you say more things. I see. I apologize, Kelly Wand. I'll I'll try to get your jokes quickly uh, faster. Uh, so Kelly Wand, my number two is Virgin Spring. Dingus, give us a line from your number two pick for a favorite tree in a movie. All right. The tree that I made it from was split open by lightning. Uh, it's got to be Rushmore. It's got to be Rushmore. Kelly's. Nah. I don't think so. Wait, what are you going to say, Dingus? I thought you were Googling. That's what I was going to say. No, I was thinking. That's the sound of me thinking. Uh, the tree that I made it from was split open by lightning. A bat? It's a bat, probably from the. Oh the, my God! Uh, you're probably right. Is it the natural? Yeah, it's the natural. Oh, need <laughs> a baseball movie. Great. Yeah. Now we're talking sports movies. All right. It's about the bat, is it? Or the lightning? What, yeah. Doesn't he have a name like Best Boy? Isn't the bat's name Best Boy or something? It, the, the bat's name Little is Slugger. Gaffer. Gaffer? Gaffer? No, no. It has a name, doesn't it? It's called Wonder Boy. He, he, Wonder he, Boy. He, uh, he does that wood burning thing into it. And he does a lightning strike into it. So my uh, my second favorite tree is the tree that um, the the lightning strikes that uh, that then Roy Hobbs makes his bat out of. That is his legendary bat, and I love that. I I just really love that. There's this iconic tree from his childhood that gets split apart by lightning, and then he makes this bat. And I love all of those sequences. I really, really love the movie The Natural. Um, I've never read the book, so and I know the book is wildly different from the movie. It ends much more differently than the movie does. But it branches I, so, off from it. It does. It, it doesn't only branch, but it, it has a different route altogether. Um, but I love that that particular... The sequence of making the bat and that the bat fe- features so prominently and that he says later in the movie, of course, that it came from that tree. So that tree that gets split apart by lightning that produces the bat. So, Dingus, every now and then someone will tell me, and you've warned me off of this, will tell me, hey, uh, even if you don't like baseball, you should see Moneyball. <laughs> And, uh, and Dingus, you've been like, no, don't listen to those people. Dingus, if someone doesn't like or know anything about baseball, should he see The Natural? Uh, yes, but if he doesn't like schmaltzy movies, that, then then he shouldn't see The Natural either. So th- those are different. Th- there's a whole different Venn diagram that we're talking about. The, uh, the Natural doesn't necessarily have to be a movie about baseball, and I certainly don't care a whit about baseball, but I love the way The Natural is put together. Um, it's it's just a great little Barry Levinson movie. Um, is Barry Levinson? Oh. Yeah, and um, it's, it's Robert Redford looking older than you think he's going to look um, and allowing himself to look older. And it's it's just got this great personal drama that goes on it's a really cool drama i mean i really really love the natural uh, but it is a little schmaltzy doesn't glenn close like murder him at the end or something like that or am I, is that something else I'm that's at the beginning and that's the other chick kim basinger is in it um and glenn close is the uh, kim the kim basinger and glenn close are both in it um and the 
You should watch it. It's just, okay. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Don't spoil it for me, Dingus. I'll spoil it for myself. Yeah. I've already. I'll be sitting there watching it the whole time, thinking, "Is Glenn Close going to murder him in the end or not?" So, all right, don't tell me. Uh, I saw Robert Redford recently in this movie about uh, where he was one of the weathermen, like the the radicals from the '60s, and Shia LaBeouf is a an investigative oh, reporter God. who tracks him down. I can't remember the name of the movie. It's Ew. Called. So it's uh, the opposite of all the presidents, man. Uh, yeah, there you go. I'll go with that. But but poor Robert Redford just uh, looking so. Uh, I, just uh, like old and leathery, but yet with he a looks lot of weathered. work done. I mean, he just but he looks, looks he looks no, he looks weathered, but he looks like he's had a lot of work done to overcome the weathering. Oh. Uh, and it's just kind of painful to see him like that. Uh, well, that's he's more like Robert Redwood. Get it? Because trees. That's just great about the natural because the the idea the the plot of the natural is that at the beginning he's this phenom and then he gets waylaid and years pass and then he gets to come back to major league baseball but he he still has physical prowess but he looks weathered um, but he does not look like what you're describing Tom okay yeah and you're not making me want to see the movie now now that sounds like it's very much about baseball it's directed by Bar- Barry Levinson. Uh, there's enough baseball in it that you probably want to watch it, but it's not about baseball. Not Kelly Wand, ball is. <laughs> you can think about baseball while you watch it, huh? Very good, Kelly Wand. If I don't like baseball, should I see Bad News Bears? Yeah, wait, <laughs> that's the best use of trees. Kelly Wand, what is your number two pick for use of a tree in a movie? Um, oh, I'll do a quote from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, something uh, Rachel Weiss would say. Yeah, that's my number no, one picture. Uh, yeah. That's my number one. I can't stand you. Well, we're all going to do it. Come on. I, know. I almost took it off the table because I go, it's going to be boring. Cause we're no, it's gonna... not boring. It's perfect. It's the perfect pick. Yeah, I know. But the second I said it last week, I'm all, I know it's going to be the number one on there. Well, I think we all it's thought of it. It's the perfect pick. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but. All right, kids, tell people, people yes. listening probably have no, might have no idea what we're talking about. Kelly Wand, what is, you've mentioned Rachel Weiss, so, uh, it must be, um, something from Brothers Bloom. Right. It's the first brother before he bloomed <laughs> into a tree. It's the Constantine tree. <laughs> um, see, but it could be different trees, though, just as, uh, there were different 2001 silences. Cause uh, Dingus, first Dingus, one. Dingus, should I take my clothes off? <laughs> I'm thinking. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get in a Constantine quote, Kelly Wand. Oh, I thought that was from... <laughs> All right, so Ding, uh, Kelly Wand, you've obviously picked as your number two, and Dingus and I have picked as our number one picks for use of a tree. Uh, Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain. So, Kelly Wand, uh, go ahead and explain a little bit about why you would choose this. I picked The Fountain Tree because it's the first time I've seen a tree uh, kill someone. Other than poltergeist, because it's like it 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 succeeded in doing what the poltergeist tree failed to do. Is that what you're right. saying? Well, the kid lives in poltergeist, but um, right, but kills we, him and makes him immortal at the same time. But you could you guys might be doing the one that's in the the sphere tree. They're all the same tree. You realize that, don't you? Whoa. <laughs> so there are three incarnations of the tree. It's the tree of life that the conquistador finds, which is also the tree that the doctor is using to research his cure for brain cancer or whatever degenerative disease his wife has, which is also the tree that the space traveler is carrying to Zabulba, the, the, the nebula at the end of the movie. It's all the same tree. Wait a minute. 
But the Scaly Wand? The Conquistador trees in South America and the one. And that's where they find, they they mention, uh, Hugh Jackman mentions, you know, that they've got this tree. They talk about what sample they're using and they mention a tree that they, I don't know if they mention a country or if they just say South America, but they clearly point out that it's a tree down there, that that they're working from the sample from that tree. Oh, I thought that the future one was the one that he plants with the acorn in the snow. It's all the same tree. It's all the same. Yep. Yeah. One tree, Kelly Wand. It's like the so Trinity. he's the tree. Rachel Weiss is the tree. So it's like Neapolitan uh, ice cream sandwich, you're saying. <laughs> Dingus, why did you pick this? Um, to be honest, I picked it because of the texture of it. Uh, I, this is stupid. Uh, it's not thematic at all for me, although that's a, an element of it, and it bolsters my pick. It's just, this movie for me has such an amazing sense of, of texture and sound. And, and for me, just that sense of when he's, uh, scraping the bark and the, the, the way that the tree responds to his touch, um, I, I just love that tree. I love, for me specifically, it's the tree in the bubble. Uh, I know they're they're all the same, and we're talking about the tree of life and the tree bursting from his stomach and all of those things. But it's it's the way that the tree responds to his touch. Um, I I love that. Uh, yeah. There's there's no other choice for number one but this tree. And well, or the, the bark of it, the way the bark and the texture, <laughs> the the texture of it is just so gorgeous. I just can't get away from it. And it's such a strong visual in the movie too. Is that bubble floating through space? It's like a snow globe, and it's yes. just Hugh Jackman in there with that that tree is the prominent sort of skyline, I guess, of his little his little ecosystem, his little terrarium almost uh, in that globe. Yeah. But she's that tree too, right? In the future. Well, he's uh, the thing. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think you can only interpret the fountain so far. Like there are only so many definitive things you can say about the fountain before it starts to fall apart. But the idea is that she, yeah, is that he has somehow relocated her persona into the tree. He calls the tree Izzy, I believe. You know, and he's saying things to her. We're almost there. And is that a metaphor? Is it really happening? I don't think that. That's a relevant question, in a way. Yeah. Um, uh, but they also, also seem to be in their own little closed um, life loop in that bubble, and and they respond to each other. And it's just the way that Darren Aronofsky chooses to show the way that the tree responds to his touch. Right. That I cannot get away from that in my mind. And and there's other echoes of this in the movie in the way um, people touch skin and the hair on the skin rises. Well, there's a beautiful cut, Dingus, uh, uh, I don't know if you call it a fade or whatever, where he's running his hand along her skin and she's in the bathtub, and then it transitions to the space traveler running his hand along the tree. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what I mean. I mean, there's this sense of, and I've said this before, when we've talked about this movie is the sense of texture in this movie is freaking phenomenal. Uh, and I just love that feeling of touch in this movie and the way that he reaches out and touches the tree. And it, when he has to scrape the bark, it feels, uh, it, it hurts when I watch that. It's just such a weird kind of sensation for me as a film goer. And I remember the very first time I sat and I remember the actual theater I sat in and watched it. 
in the arc light in Sherman Oaks. I remember watching it and watching him scrape the bark and just feeling like, ouch, somebody's scraping a scab off of me or somebody's hurting my skin. It was just so real. And I just, that tree, I, I don't know how he did that, but he made it so real for me. Kelly, when you mentioned the conquistador scene, uh, I love how horrifying that is. Yeah. You know, when he finally he's using the sap to bind a wound and that the the flowers. I mean, it's totally like the stuff that Aronofsky ends up doing in Black Swan. Uh, but, yeah, and, that's good. Uh, it's just this crazy, like, body dysmorphia horror scene of the tree bursting out from the inside of him. And if I'm not mistaken, it even sort of, like, snaps his neck back and comes out of his mouth. Yeah, uh, with yeah. flowers. Yeah, yeah. But then it feels good. He just is not used to it. Well, it, first, it first comes out of his stomach, and then, it, yeah. The wound, yeah, the, the wound that he used. Uh, but, yeah, that's totally like like horror movie stuff. And and also how it builds with Clint Mansell's soundtrack. You know, that, that the, the, the culmination of that music as the tree is consuming his body uh, is just kind of uniquely horrifying. I love yeah. that sequence. Um, all right, so uh, then Kelly Wan, of course, you feel that the Pan's Labyrinth tree is better than all the trees. In well, the I'm tree just saying... Time. For, for looks, you know? Fair enough. That's, that's what I was trying to do. Fair enough, Ski, is what you're <laughs> really saying. Kelly Wan, do we have listener submissions for, for favorite trees? I guess you're right, and I bow to your pick. <laughs> well, I, Kelly Wan, I am pining for some listener submissions. Oh, uh, oh. Would you please read them? Okay, I'll take the elm. Read. <laughs> Wait, what did Dingus say? I said <laughs> I would be, I would be okay. If you would do it, <laughs> Dingus thought a reed was a tree. <laughs> huh. Uh, Jonathan J. Lando de Pratma writes, "Alas, I already used the tree subplot from Harold Maude in another three by three. Really? I don't remember that. I mean, it's a good point. Uh, also, Hark, these are my." Best examples of trees in animated films. <laughs> All these examples have trees as the narrative thrust of whatever film they're in. My number three is The Land Before Time. I didn't see the kids' dinosaur movie. <laughs> I saw the Jurassic Park movie. Jonathan. I mean, in it, the veggie sores are dying out from starvation. See, because Fantasia maybe not want to see any more cartoon dinosaurs. Did you guys have that at all? Uh, I'm not sure I was ever that taken with cartoon dinosaurs. What about the ones on the train at Disneyland? You didn't go, oh, at least I'm looking at dinosaurs. No? Uh, no, I like the ones, the water ride at Universal Park. It is a great train in Jurassic Park, though. So Jonathan writes, and at the veggie stores are dying out from starvation and here of a mythic great valley full of trees. Initially, everyone's racist against other herbivores, but the children get stuck together and their need to eat trees teaches them not to be racist, even if some races are more annoying than others. Now it makes me want to see it. It's like about a race war. For my number two, I'm possibly going to be considered breaking the topic, but I choose The Nightmare Before Christmas. The Christmas tree and its components occupy all the research into this holiday that the lead Jack undergoes. In addition, the Christmas tree on the door in those holiday door woods are what make it that the film is not The Nightmare Before Thanksgiving. I don't think that uh, that breaks the topic. I like that. 
I guess a wreath counts. So one. Well, I one. mean, as far as like, there's so many movies that have something to do with a Christmas tree, and that didn't yeah. even occur to me. Uh, and if you're going to call out a Christmas tree in a movie, yeah, do something with Nightmare Before Christmas. So good work. I like or, that. Or any Christmas movie. No, no, Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh. yeah. Bad Santa, not acceptable. To not talk. a Christmas movie. Not a Christmas movie. Not appropriate to sit down and watch with the family on Christmas. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes. Yes. It's the best Christmas movie ever, and it's got an awesome Christmas tree in it. Oh, you know what? They uh, in in um, the original Poseidon Adventure with Gene Hackman as a Unitarian oh. priest escaping from an upside down ship. They use the Christmas tree to climb up out of the the turned over ballroom. What well, am I thinking of? Where a Christmas tree kills somebody or attacks someone? Uh, evil Christmas tree. My number one is Wally. Oh, the Wally thing. By the way, I'm dreading. Not a tree. It's a little plant. What is he talking about? Yeah. Once this sapling is found, the rest of the film is about it being cared for. It brings. Well, that's the last shot. Oh, no, it's not the last shot. But at the end, remember where they go? Maybe it's a cupcake tree, and you realize they've learned nothing in that movie. Anyway. (laughs) And they're giving it to a three year old. But anyway, it brings the humans back to Earth where they find their humanity by not being as fat and walking sometimes. During the animation. (laughs) It is walking, though, and they are fat. During the animation, over the end credits, you see that little sapling becomes a giant tree that all renewed life stems Uh, from. Okay. Wait, is that right? That little that little plant in Eve's belly turns into a tree. I didn't stick around for that shit. Yeah, all right, no. you might have a point. But then, remember the next the guy's next movie is John Carter. And it's all deserts. Well, wait a minute. Is if he's going to do that, then can I pick the acorn that the squirrel in Ice Age can never get open? <laughs> as my favorite tree. I'm going to pick the glacier because it's an ice tree. No, yes, Kelly. No, moving on. Iceberg. Oh, by the way, I haven't looked at the rest of these, but I'm just saying now I'm going to take points off if you fucking say Avatar, that fucking tree. Let's see what happens. Oh, Paul Weimer, here we go. Here, what if we ready. use Captain America? <laughs> what? What's that made? Yggdrasil, the tree of life. I think it's big sense from Captain America. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Did you know that's what he was going for? I did not, no. Uh. <laughs> If you played more video games or listened to opera or whatever, you would know that Yggdrasil is not a Captain America thing. It is. They they, they originated it there, and Guy Pierce or whatever his name is, said that. I bet Dingus thinks the Cosmic Cube is also, the, ter- the Tesseract is also from Captain America. I believe it is. <laughs> I'll bet he thinks the tree in 300 is from Captain America. Uh, this is... Paul Weimer, number three, Fountain. Number two, the awesome, gnarly, uh, gothic-looking tree of the dead in Sleepy Hollow. I like that tree, too. and That is a, that was a really awesome tree. And I began Did it do to, anything? Uh, I didn't like no. wait, wait, Tim Burton. Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah. You no, know, it does. I think it, it's like he's the headless horseman's buried under it, except for his head. Yeah, but does the tree do anything? It just sits there? Or does it, can, it, can it fight? It That's the thing. And I should have clarified this last week. What, what every tree has to fight? What? The fountain fights, that's true. But, wait. The King Kong one doesn't. It's used as a weapon. Well, the virgin tree fights. It doesn't fight very well. I mean, the virgin spring tree. There's, there's a fight with a tree. That's true. Well, they dig next to it, so that's like fighting the roots. If they right. shovel the tree. Fair enough. Number one, and yes, here I probably break Kelly's topic, Treebeard in the Zoo Towers. 
Is that a tree, Tom? Before I continue reading? Is it I, I think everybody knows the tree. It's in the name, Kelly Wand. Of course it's a tree. No, but he's about, his name refers to a beard. <laughs> he's a living beard. It's a speed tree, Tom. Tell you what, a oh. thing a thing can have two words in its name and be one of doesn't and have both of those things separately. It's like the lichens on it or the beard. Lichens? What does this have to do with the underworld movies? <laughs> I defend this because Mary Pippin climbed tree beard. Don't encourage him, Dingus. <laughs> Fleeing an orc. You know. You know how nerdy you have to be to laugh at that joke? What's wrong with you? Firmly believing they are climbing a tree, and for a few moments, the unaware of human thinks tree beard is a tree, too. Best regards. I don't know why I'm laughing. I apologize, Paul Weaver. I don't know why I'm laughing. It's just funny to me. It's a speed tree, Kelly. Paul. Wait. Oh, Fred. What? Go? I'm just going to explain to listeners. We had a podcast where, at one point, we were talking about The Flash, and Kelly Wan said to me, did you know that Flash can speed talk Paul? He called me Paul while, while pointing out some completely useless bit of trivia about the Flash being able to speed talk. Uh, and we were all very tickled by that. I would love to have that on a sound loop. As a matter of fact, if I had a cell phone, that would be my ringtone. Too bad we don't remember which podcast that happened on. I know. If you know, uh, listen to us. I mean, listen to us. Uh, write to us. It, it bled into Britney Spears 3 by 3 Like, you got that. That would have been awesome. Yeah, but if you know what episode Kelly Wan said, did you know the Flash can speed talk, Paul? <laughs> you know where that is? Please let us know, because I want to hear it again. All right. So I think if it was a superhero movie, and that's why I'm You know what? Probably not. We're liable to talk about the Flash. Who knows? Uh, yeah. It's, it's, time. it's not like we stick to a theme or anything. Yeah. yeah. It could have been speed, too. All right, Paul. Uh, Fred Bo, right? After two week hiatus, Fred and Lynn are back. Thank you. See, so hey, welcome back. Later. Yes, the number three is the apple tree that smacks Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz. That's a really good tree. I thought of that one. Oh yeah, yeah, because it's like it's like tree beard. It's alive and yeah. it's a creepy tree. I like well, that whole movie. There's nothing in that movie that isn't creepy. Yeah, but that tree. There's never a callback. Well, the, tree, the trees don't march in at the end. Right. It's annoying. Wait, you're now you're sounding like you like Wizard of Oz, Tom, and you you no. that she no. didn't watch it till the James Franco one. And right, I watched it and I thought the whole thing was weird and creepy. Yeah. Wait, so but that makes it sound good. Oh, like oh. what? Well, yeah, it's creepy. Creepy in a bad way. It's not a horror movie, Kelly. I don't know if you know this. this? Wizard of Oz is not a horror movie. For Toto, it was. <laughs> <laughs> but Toto didn't know he was an horror movie. Ah, uh, if you know which podcast Kelly Wan said this other stupid thing on, <laughs> and loop it. Looper. Break the loop. 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 Redbow, right? Sorry, I went off on a musical tangent for no reason. The breaks through the window, snatches kid tree and poltergeist. And number one, oh, this is a spoiler. The human hands reaching out while we have sex in the roots tree and Antichrist. Oh, my gosh. Oh, another Antichrist reference. Jeez, a Pete. Wait, I thought I was supposed to watch that. Or Melancholia. That's it. I always get those two mixed up for some reason. <laughs> Runner up, the I Beat the Shed of Rambo Tree in First Blood. Nice. That's got nothing on the tree that beat the shit out of Dylan McDermott in the gray. Oh. Ugh. 
That's my review of the gray, by the way, not that pick. I don't know why Dingus made the same noise I did. If he because likes. I felt it when he fell. Uh, during um, during uh, when we saw two guns during the Paula Patton nude. Oh no, not the nude scene. When Paula Patton shows up in, in this pretty alluring top, uh, Dingus goes, "Oh!" Out loud in the theater. <laughs> well, I kind of did too. I can't really. I think no, we was, all did. Yeah, I, I, I think, think every was, guy in the audience. Exactly, right? Dingus was just vocalizing yeah, what Dingus every guy in the audience. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. this isn't a look how weird Dingus's story. Right, it's not. It's not like when we saw Star Trek and Dingus goes nice when the Enterprise like shoots into hyperspace or whatever. Right, yeah. he was the only one saying that. I think. <laughs> right, <laughs> nice. Yeah, although that would have applied to Paul Patton. Right, right. Yeah, was I was not expecting that nude scene. By the way. I wasn't either. Is there one like, in Flight the between them? Okay. No, Flight is another actress from a TV show. I don't know who she is. I hadn't seen her before. But there's a long scene where early on, I think it might be the first scene she's in Flight. She's in that movie, though. Paula Patton? Paula Patton? Flight. Yeah. Uh, but it's not, right, she's one of the stewardesses, I think. But, but she's, she's not naked on it. No, there's another stewardess that he's having a fling with, and there's a long scene in a hotel room where they're doing coke, and she's trying, flouncing around all naked. Oh, uh, Jane Alexander. No, Jane Seymour. Sorry. Uh, no, it's not. Uh, she's apparently from some TV show. Uh, a friend of mine told told me. And therefore, uh, even, well, you're a TV star in quotes, and yet you no, don't have great TV, even though you're a TV actor. I'm not even sure it was great TV. I don't know. It was some show. She plays a maid. That's all I remember. It's a show that I didn't know. Stacey and Hutch. <laughs> At any rate, she was a she's a prominent actress on on TV, and it's like she's super naked all over the place at the beginning of Flight. So that's what you're thinking of. It's not Paula Patton, Kelly Wand. I was with Luke Perry in rehab. <laughs> all right. Let's get back to trees. So all right. Number two or number let's get three. Back to trees. Yeah. Uh, I'll leave you with that. Josh Lubner writes, I only have one good entry, but I pat it out with two more, even though you guys always say not to do that. I do that every week, dude. If I even get the one good. Number three, Poltergeist. Yep. Number two, the tree in the gray. Where Dermot Mulroney hits every branch on the way down. Poor bastard. What a great scene, though. Nice! Uh, by the way, I feel bad. I called him Dylan McDermott. I, that was an actual bad mistake on my part. I apologize to Dermot Mulroney. Wait, you're right. This guy's wrong, I think. Mm, no. It's Dermot Mulroney. Dylan McDermott is, this? is the smarmy, good-looking guy who looks like he should be on TV. Uh, Dermot Mulroney is the guy who's like an actual good actor. Dingus, do I have that right? Yep. Yeah. Oh, I thought that in the gray was Dylan McDermott, and that's why I'm like, see, it's even got that fucking guy in it. So I thought I was watching the dumbass one. No, no, you're watching Dermot Mulroney, and he's got the awesome... He might... See, no, I was going to say, he's got the second best death scene in the gray. Uh, by the way, spoilers for the gray, Kelly Wand, why are you making me do that? Because uh, I'm trying to keep people from seeing it. <laughs> All right, carry Dylan, on. The Dylan McDermott is the bad guy in Olympus Goes Down. Oh my god, that's right. Olympus wow. goes down. Along with Iggy. <laughs> White House goes down. Starring Kevin Costner and uh, the chick from Galactica. Alright, number one of Josh Lubliner's. This tree never actually appears in the movie, but number one pick is the pink Bunkadoo tree. 600 feet tall, bright red, and smells terrible. This is Og's invention in Time Bandits, which causes them to get fired and engage in a life of time banditry. That is so obscure. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the podcast, Josh. 
You're welcome. Philip Torter writes, number three, Burnt Offerings. Oh, my God, that's awesome. Way better than – I'm glad nobody said Evil Dead, by the way, so far. But way better than Evil Dead. What does he say about it? Yeah, I think you're right. And actually, in Evil Dead – it, like I don't even remember the tree itself. It's just the branches. Yeah, it's yeah. So you're assuming there's a tree at the other end of it. Yeah, but maybe if we'd seen Jack and the Beanstalk, that stupid movie, we would all have gone. Oh yeah, the Beanstalk was pretty. Okay, and a Beanstalk is not a tree. Number three, burnt offerings. This is Philip Torres number three. Uh, the fallen tree or Oliver Reed. I meant to say Oliver Reed tries to bypass by ramming with the station wagon. He does not succeed. <laughs> Wasn't that a TV movie, though? Like, no, spurring, no. Spurring? Oh. I don't think so. Burn Offerings wasn't a TV movie. That's what you're saying. Really? Well, they, 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 with they the, used to have, like, really scary stuff. Like, the that Don't Be Afraid of the Dark uh, was a TV movie, the, the good one that we saw, and that was freaky. Maybe it was, but I kind of don't think so. It seems like it's more star power than... Isn't Burgess Meredith in it? I think he's in it, and there's some famous old lady in it, and Karen Black and Oliver Reed. Yeah. But you know what? Karen Black was in that trilogy of terror thing, and that was TV, wasn't it? Or was it? Where the little the little voodoo dolls of Zulu doll things are chasing her around. Wasn't that TV? That was called The Conjuring. Oh, Kelly Wand. Gotcha. Uh, all right, so yeah, so yeah, I love that, that scary tree that Oliver Reed fights in. in Number two, Fox. Annie Christ. Oh, good lord, here we go. <laughs> Defoe and Charlotte Gainsbury have sex in an ominous tree that's revealed to have a sea of disembodied arms reaching out of its roots. Like that Robin Williams movie, where he's in hell. That's me, by the way. What dreams uh, may come? Ha ha, you knew the name of it. <laughs> I agree with the. Oh, it made Dingus moan. <laughs> I would have thought Dingus would like that movie. So I've actually never even seen it, so there. So I just trumped both of you. It's dumb. Number one's The Guardian, The Druidic Tree. Yes. 390. Nice. Nice. What does he say about it? Because I've never seen that either. The Guardian. The, I haven't either, and I want to now. The Druidic Tree that's... And it's also around the same time Friedkin... No, it wasn't Friedkin. I'm an idiot. It was around uh, Exorcist 3 time, which has nothing to do with what it... <laughs> I apologize, Philip. The Druidic Tree that subsists on baby sacrifices and kills three punks by crushing the skull of one with its branches, eating the second, and impaling the third after ripping his leg off. Uh, i got to see that now. Oh, this is a good one, too. His runner-ups, Conan the Barbarian, the Tree of Woe that Thulsa Doom crucifies Conan on. <laughs> Thulsa Doom always sounds to me like it's a typo. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> ha, you know it well enough to make that joke. <laughs> what do you wait? What's the non-typo version of it? I don't know. Like thus is doom, and somebody somebody screwed that up. Thus is that. doom. That's the guy's name. <laughs> No, like I thought it was salsa. I thought salsa that's, would be the right way to put it. Salsa doom. Right. Salsa doom, it's super hot. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Wait, that's actually not a bad marketing thing. <laughs> salsa doom, it's super we hot. that with flash speed talk. And, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, and eat that vulture's head to gain enough strength to rip the nails out. That was me, by the way. I felt toward it didn't. By the way, if you're going to watch The Guardian, the William Friedkin movie, be very careful, very careful not to mistake it with the movie where uh, Ashton Kutcher and Kevin Costner are, are in the Coast Guard. <laughs> also called the, the Guardian, true story. I love so many things about what just happened on this podcast. But my favorite is that 
Uh, the, the A, it's the title. B, that Tom felt the need to interject that. <laughs> Wait, it sounds like Point Break, kind of. All right. Have fun watching it, Kelly Wand. Let me know how that works out for you. Let me know how that movie I know so well works out for you. I think that was the tagline in the poster. It sounds like Point Break, kind of. <laughs> Who's the other guy? Ashton Kutcher and who? Kevin Costner. Yeah, the <laughs> other guy. <laughs> I hate that Ashton Kutcher was great. My name is Kevin Costner, and I'm now the other guy. Yeah, behind Ashton Kutcher to the idiot on the podcast. Scott Andrews writes, hello, cutie three. I wanted to pick unique individual trees. No forests. Number three. And then look what he does. First one. Number three, the burning ant running toward the water during the attack. <laughs> All right. That's kind of forest three, and it's – am I – Picking on Scott Andrews too much. No. Scott Andrews deserved it. <laughs> is he doing that on purpose? Is he messing with me? Well, let's see what his other two picks are. Number two, the picnic tree in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I don't remember it myself. Is it the, is it so the one they, where the. Yeah, go ahead, Dingus. Where he smashes the toad? Yeah, that's all I remember about it. After their picnic under a lone tree in a field, Cyclops. That's what I was thinking. John Goodman's character, yeah. Breaks a dead branch. Well, I remember the picnic. I don't remember the tree. Breaks a dead branch off the tree to Club Delmar and Ulysses Everett. Nice place for a picnic. Nice place for a mugging. And he beats George Clooney in the face with a branch, right? Well, it's certainly not a forest, so Scott Andrews got that right. Number one, the tree of the dead from Sleepy Hollow. It looks like a tree of the dead. It bleeds when Ichabod chops it with an axe, and it gives birth to the headless horseman. So it does do something, contrary to what you said, Kelly Wand. It does everything the fountain tree does, because it gives birth and bleeds. Fountain tree does something. It looks like something. (laughs) All right. That's all we have. No chicks on my topic this week. Uh, I was thinking of uh, scenes where actually the tree is kind of incidental, but scenes where people are hiding up in trees, and we mentioned Jurassic Park. But I think there are two better examples of that. Uh, there's a movie that uh, we like on this podcast, except that Kelly Wan hasn't seen it, called Black Water, where people spend a lot of time hiding up in a tree. Um, and you guys didn't see The Impossible, the tsunami movie uh, with Naomi Watts, but there's some really cool stuff with her after the tsunami trying to hide up in a tree with her son, um, which uh, I really like. Wait, you like that part? Or the I love that part. Yeah, all the tsunami part and the parts with Naomi Watts just in the aftermath before it becomes this very hallmarky, uplifting tale about white people. Um, but the, the tsunami and the immediate aftermath of the tsunami is really, really good stuff in The Impossible. Partly because of Naomi Watts, partly because of the kid actors she's working with, and just partly because of the production values for what they do to, to present the tsunami. Hmm. Is Petra Nemkova in that movie? Who is that? Uh, Why do I know that uh, name? Oh, the lizard. Thank That's, you, Dingus. She's the lizard, yes. Uh, I'm going to say no, Kelly Wand. What do you think of that? Uh, you win. Thank you. What else? Uh, other other runners up. I didn't have any. I had trouble with this topic. Uh, well, I love the tree. And I, I I just love the tree where the Stand By Me guys have their treehouse in. It's in the beginning of the movie Stand By Me. Dingus, I'm guessing you like the house more than the tree. Or the boys. It's possible that's true. <laughs> or the game they're playing with cards, the knock. Yeah. Uh, my neighbor Totoro. I forget, I forget the secret knock. Burn. Uh, my neighbor Totoro has a, I mean, there's so much cool stuff in that, but one of the, I don't know about a reveal, but one of the things that you find out is that 
the the little passage where the girls find the Totoros, you find out it's a big old tree, a big prominent tree. I like that part of, of that Miyazaki movie. What about the Virgin Suicides one that they're trying to save because it's sick? Oh, that's right. Damn, Kelly Wand. Good I just call. came up with that. Kelly Wand, you're, you're good. What about... That's the only one. All right. What about the Return of the Jedi one? I think it's time for next week's 3x3. Three three, you're out of time. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, otherwise I would have loved to have heard about that. Great. You uh, just, all right. You just Return of the Jedi, the podcast. You just Mark Kwan to the podcast. So uh, next week, I apologize for doing this. This is a this is a downer one, and uh, oh. I it sucks, but movies do this a, a lot. It happened when we saw The Conjuring. Um, a lot of times it's not very effective. It's kind of cheap. Sometimes I even resent it. So what I want from you guys are the worst instances, and by worst I mean actually effective, where you thought it was appropriate and it had the desired effect rather than just being manipulative, the worst instances of a dead pet. Oh. oh. Wait, they... I know, I know. Bummers? Yeah, where it has to work. I mean, that's something that's a... It's a part of i imagine many of our lives and movies use it a lot and a lot of times it's cheap you know they kill that poor dog in the conjuring they, they what was her name brandy what was the dog's name dingus do you remember she's barking and she doesn't want to come in and they say her name and that's all you meet her and then she gets killed the next morning what was that dog's name oh god i don't remember now but you totally brought the room down well so right i know and then you know it's gonna be a bummer but i think it's something that movies play with a lot and i want to talk about it because there 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 are times where it's appropriate and it's effective and it doesn't feel manipulative it doesn't just feel like some throwaway thing to sort of dig at the audience where it ties into what's going on so by worst, I mean best, you know, because it's a terrible thing. But let's talk about movies where it's used to good effect. It's so, Sadie. Her name was Sadie. Sadie, the poor dog. Darn it. I'm so yeah. upset right now. I know. This is terrible. It'll be a bummer. Uh, Kelly Wan, have fun making jokes about that next week. Uh, so there you go. That's what I want to talk about is when pets die in movies. What, what, are, what are three instances for us? And for you listening, just give us one, two, three. What are instances where it's effective? It actually works. <laughs> I like the one you counted to explain it. <laughs> Do three of them. One, two, three. three. Uh, so if you if you have some ideas for that, send them to us at three by three at quarter to three dot com. That's the letter, the number three, the letter X, the number three at, and then you spell out quarter to three dot com. Uh, and next week we are going to see Elysium. Oh, uh, one where Matt Damon. La 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 la. I know nothing about it. Yeah, all I know is apparently. You know, I'm not even going to say that. So see that, see that. Normal. I'm not going to say anymore. See Elysium and join us for the podcast next week. And if you have any ideas about effective use of dead pets, as horrible as it may be, in a movie, send those in. Join us for that. Uh, and let's see, I'm Tom Chick. I've been joined by, I wrote this down so I can pronounce it, because it's a hard French name or something, Christian Mulkowski. It's Christian Murawski. You're just saying what I said. And Kelly Wand. The postman was kind of messagey. Once de la noche en La Habana, Cuba. Once de la noche en San Salvador, El Salvador. Once de la noche en Manila, Cuba.
I don't know Tommy or Italian. Me gustas tú, me gusta viajar, me gustas tú. Um, I don't know what this means. I don't know why you picked it. <laughs> it's uh, it means two guns. <laughs> I don't know why you picked it. Muy caliente es a la biblioteca. Very sorry about my friend. He was kicked in the head as a child. Wink.